So if you were not here last week, um, we began a four-week study through Advent. Um, we ended, about two weeks ago, we ended our study of Song of Solomon, and we went into this um, celebration of Advent. And we talked about how Advent is this, this time of celebration, looking back and celebrating the coming of Jesus, celebrating Christmas, celebrating that in the past, but also it's looking forward to the return of Jesus, looking forward to his second coming. So we're both celebrating the past, but also looking forward to and longing for the future. There's both sides of that within Advent. Um, Last week we started um, in 2 Peter chapter 3, and that's where we're going to be again. So if you do have your Bibles, go ahead and start turning to 2 Peter chapter 3. But this chapter as a whole is... Peter talking a lot about some false teachers that have come in that have um, started to teach things like Jesus is not going to come back. Jesus is not going to return. That that God is not active in the world. That things are just going along as they have since the beginning of time. That God is not intervening. Um, But as we looked at, we saw that these people were saying these things because they were neglecting to see what God had done in the past. They were neglecting to see how faithful he had been in creation, how faithful he had been um, even in the flood, how faithful he was all through his word. They were neglecting to see this, so they were missing out. They They were not seeing the hope that we have to trust him in the future. And lastly, we talked a lot about how we as individuals, how we as a church should continue to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. We should continue to remind ourselves of how faithful God has been in Scripture, but also how faithful He has been to us. And how in this constant reminder, in this constant state of realizing what God has done, how faithful He has been, that that should grow our expectation for Him to be faithful in the future. It should grow our expectation for God to be faithful in the future. But it's this in-between time where the entire New Testament is written. This time when it's looking back to see all of God's promises in the past, all through the Old Testament, we see His faithfulness, His promises, His fulfillment. But then it's this time of also waiting for the long, waiting for the second coming, waiting for Him to be faithful to fulfill that promise. But it's the middle ground where the New Testament is, where the New Testament church is, where the original readers of Second Peter would find themselves. But it's also where we find ourselves, this remembering the faithfulness, remember how good God has been, how faithful he's been to his church, to his people, but also waiting for and longing for what has not yet been fulfilled, that, that second coming of Jesus, that, that promise that is, we still have. But again, the last thing that I kind of was trying to get across last week was that we should continually remind ourselves that God is going to be faithful in the future. We continue, based on, we see his faithfulness in the past. We see how he's continued to come through on his promises. That should grow our expectation for him to be faithful in the future. And this morning we're going to kind of focus on a specific avenue of that, a specific uh, route that we see his faithfulness in the future. We can expect and, and long for in the second coming of Jesus. So that is a promise that we have and that we can, can expect him to be faithful in that area. So let's, we're going to read... A section of text that is going to seem very Christmas-like. It's going to talk about some destruction and judgment 
And um, some things that honestly don't seem like it could ever possibly be a Christmas Advent theme text, but um, bear with me as we go through it. So we're going to read verses 7 through 10 in 2 Peter chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, it should be up on the screen. Chapter 7, or verse 7, sorry. But by the same word, sorry. So last week he was saying through his word he created the world. Through his word, um, the flood, through God acting through his word. So, sorry, context. By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient with you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So Christmassy. Judgment. Destruction. Fire. I mean... Doesn't sound super Christmassy, doesn't sound Advent-like, but I think that we'll see, I hope, that, I hope that we'll see, I hope that you'll see, that it really kind of follows up where we were last week, of remembering God's promises in the past, but looking forward to his promises in the future. I'm going to go ahead and warn you right now that there is a ton of deep theological issues in these verses. There is a ton we could spend hours and hours and hours digging into some weighty, heavy things in these verses. I'm going to warn you, for those of you that are wanting that, I'm not going to give you that. I'm not going to go through and get near as deep as some of you might say, well, it's, it's, there's so much there. I, I'm, I don't want to neglect the details. I don't want to say they're not important because they are. But I don't want us to get so caught up in details that we miss the bigger picture. Maybe we can dig further in, in community groups and further discussions going forward. I don't mean to neglect them because I don't think they're important. I just want to get across a bigger idea, a, a, a more wide, wide lens angle. Make sense? Like, don't, I don't want to see it so caught up in the small things, in, in the seemingly small things. Another brief warning. I'm going to skip verse 7 for a little bit. We're going to come back to it. So don't, don't think that I'm missing it. But we're going to jump right to verse 8 in 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 8, says, but Peter says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So keep in mind the context of this chapter is, is people calling into question Jesus' return. They're calling into question that Jesus is not going to return because at this point they've probably waited 50 years, 100 years maybe. Like, they're like, Jesus is not going to return. He said he was going to return soon. And there's people calling this into question. And Peter says, one, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Have you tried to comprehend that? A thousand years is as, as one day. One day as a thousand years. Just, just trying to comprehend how that that kind of understanding, that God's kind of view on time, it's pretty much impossible. I mean, just think, think of the, your last 24 hours. You remember that probably pretty well. 
Um, funny story, it's not necessarily relevant, but it's really funny. So our girls had um, some oral surgery. Um, the twins had some oral surgery done on, on Friday, and they, they were given giggle juice. Giggle juice. Probably the doctors called it giggle juice that they're going to give them to, to kind of get them a little loopy before they, the doctor actually took them back to do the anesthesia and knock, knock them out completely. And hilarious. I got some really good videos. But the girls went from like super nervous to like loopy and spinning and all sorts of funny stuff. But they have no recollection of about two or three hours. Like they don't remember from about five minutes after drinking the giggle juice to Bella doesn't remember until we got home. Um, but Bella not remembering, she took it a second. So Anna took the giggle juice first, and Bella saw her go back at the doctor, saw her be really loopy, and then after that, Bella drank the juice. We got home, and Bella was seriously in tears, upset that she didn't get to go do what Anna did, because she didn't see the doctor come and take her. She doesn't remember any of that. Like, I was showing her videos on my phone. I think kind of proved to her that she didn't remember those videos, but it was like she really had no recollection. It was really bothering her that she didn't, the doctor didn't come take her that she didn't go back and have her teeth done as she was upset that her teeth hurt. I don't, know. I don't know. Didn't make any sense. But, sorry. All that to say, most of us in most settings remember the last 24 hours, remember our last day. He's kind of given an example that for God, think year 1017. Like, it's the same for God. God is not limited by our short view of time. Like, we're so limited in our view of time. So limited. For the girls, when they say a long time ago, they usually mean this morning. Maybe the day before. When I think long time ago, I might think, okay, back to kindergarten 20-some-odd years ago. Some of us that have a couple more years on us might remember back to further back than most of us don't remember. Um, the Pony Express. The Pony Express. Don't talk about your dad. Um, but like our, our view of time is so limited. It's so based on our experiences, based on our age, based on what we have to go off of. But God's is not. Like God's is not, is not limited by time. I've heard a lot of people try to, try to explain this with a look at a timeline and you're somewhere on the timeline and God sees the whole. Like I don't think any of those explanations of God's view of time do it, do it any justice. Like, we cannot understand this. But God so transcends time. He's not limited by time. So what Peter's saying is that these scoffers, these false teachers, these people coming in, have no basis to question God's timing because they're not even on the same playing field. They, they have no idea. God's sense of time is just so much different than ours. Although he's, he's outside time, he still works within time, though. He's still, the, the timing of things is still huge. We see this all through Scripture. He, him, God choosing to act within time at very specific times, at very perfect times. Regardless of whether we understand this, regardless of whether we have any idea what's going on, God's perfect timing. Because Advent is a time of looking back at God's perfect timing, not that it was always expected by the people in the Old Testament, but we look back celebrating God's perfect timing, but also looking forward, longing for God's perfect timing in the future because he's acting within time. He's, he's 
doing things at a perfect time. So I want, I want you to imagine yourself. So like looking back, imagine yourself as people in the Old Testament who are expecting a Messiah, who are expecting people to come, who are expecting a Savior to come. Adam and Eve, for example, we talked about last week, they were given a promise that, that through their offspring there would be a Messiah. Through their offspring there would be one to, to conquer the serpent, to conquer, the, to conquer Satan. They were given this promise in Genesis 3.15. The Bible says that Adam lives 930 years. 930 years. A bunch of kids died not having seen the fulfillment of, the ultimate fulfillment of this promise. Abraham died not having seen the ultimate fulfillment of the promises that he was given. David was told that, that, there would be, that through his offspring, through his line, would be a king that would sit on the throne forever. He was given that promise, but yet died not having seen that ultimate fulfillment. Imagine yourself in these people, like longing, like you've been, you've been given the promise, you've been told of the promise of the coming Messiah, of the coming Savior. 930 years. Try to get there. We have no clue. Because the Old Testament all the way through is full of this expectation, full of this longing for a Savior. They got confused a bunch of times. We talked about that a lot through Matthew, is what they were desiring for the wrong kind of Savior. They were desiring for political salvation or salvation from Rome or all these things. They got distracted. But all through the Old Testament, we see this longing for a Savior, longing for deliverance. And the Old Testament's not a bunch of books that are good, feel-good, prosperity stories. Like, the Old Testament's full of war, disobedience, difficulty, strife, family issues. We've seen, we're going through 1 and 2 Samuel, now in 1 Kings. Like, lots of family issues. David's family's a mess. But it's all of it from the Jesus Storybook Bible does this phenomenally. But like building all the way from the beginning, pointing towards the coming Savior, pointing towards Jesus. It's all building towards this coming salvation. Because you see, like none of the judges could be perfect, none of the kings could be perfect. Even the good, the quote good kings were not perfect. Saved could Save it. Huh. Saul couldn't be that perfect king. David couldn't be that perfect king. Two separate people. Um, Saul and David could not be a perfect king. Only Jesus could be that perfect king. And that's what the whole thing is building up towards. Because it's showing that, that the sacrificial systems couldn't ultimately save people. The, all the laws in the Old Testament couldn't ultimately save people. Like All of, all of that is just built up towards the need for Jesus. And, we, and you see all through the Old Testament that longing for a Savior. Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, David, Isaiah, Ezekiel. This longing for a Savior. And I said this last week, but the, the, the birth of Jesus that, that we celebrate on Christmas, that, that moment was not just some random event that we celebrate that was awesome. It wasn't just some random event, but was the buildup of all of that, was the perfect timing that God had planned before the beginning of time 
that that happened at the exact time in history as God had planned. It was, it was prophesied about for centuries. It was, it was longed for. It was waited for. It was this, this continual building for this day. But again, I, I don't think it's something that we always connect with. Is that, that longing for a Messiah. Longing, that, that longing. I don't think we connect with that all that well often. Because we're looking back celebrating. We're looking back celebrating that Jesus came, that the Messiah came. That he died, that he rose again, that he gives us salvation. And as we should, I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. We absolutely should rejoice in that, put our hope in that. But it's that longing for the Messiah, longing for salvation that I don't know that we always connect deeply with. Because after all that build up, I mean, you think of Adam, you think of Eve, Abraham, David, all that longing building up, the Messiah did come. Baby was born in Bethlehem, just as God had, pro- had talked about all through the Old Testament. That day that everything was pointing towards did come. Not when all those people thought it would happen, not when Adam, not when Abraham, not when Isaiah, not when all these people. It wasn't necessarily what they had in mind, but at the perfect time, the Savior did arrive. But if you're Adam and Eve, if you're Abraham, if you're David, are you not thinking that God is slow? Like, isn't, isn't God slow? Isn't, wait, didn't you say our offspring, through our offspring, the Savior would come? Why, why the waiting? Why all that longing? Why all that buildup? In 2 Peter 3, Peter says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness but is patient with you, but is patient toward you. That's something like, God is not slow. God is not fast. His timing is perfect. Jesus came exactly when God said he would, when God had ordained that Jesus would come. It didn't matter Adam's timing. It didn't matter Abraham's timing. It didn't matter David's timing. But it was God's perfect timing. I'm not going to give you a ton of time to try to reflect on this, but think about God's time in your own life. Just, just think about that. We talked about last week a lot about remembering God's faithfulness, remembering God's promises, how he's continually been faithful. And as you think back, it's often easy to see looking back that it was God's timing was perfect looking back. It's hard to see that in the moment looking forward. God is not slow. That's what Peter's saying. God is not slow. Do we have the same confidence looking forward? Do we have the same confidence looking forward to, for God to be faithful in the future? Do you have the same confidence as we, Christians, as, as we look back, we're confident that, that Jesus came, was born. We celebrate that on Christmas. But do you have the same confidence that he's coming back? Do we have the same confidence that Jesus is going to return? We look back and celebrate his coming. But are we as confident that Jesus is going to return? That God is going to be faithful to that promise? A lot of people throw into question, like, question why 
Wait, didn't Jesus say soon? Doesn't Paul act like he expects to be alive when Jesus returns? Why, why be ready? Why keep your, your light lit in, in some of the parables? Why, why does it say Jesus is coming soon if it's been 2,000 years? Can we be confident that Jesus is going to return? Peter gets into the truth a little bit. He gets into more of the background of this a little bit here in verse 9. So I only read the first half, but it, is it still up there? Okay. So the, the, the full verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Again, this is one of those that has a lot of theological conversations that we could have. If we had more time, maybe that's a CG conversation, community group. There's a lot that we could dig into here. There's a ton. But what, what is Peter saying? What is, what is he saying? What is God's desire? What is God's plan to God's timing? All of that. Jesus has not returned because God is still bringing people to repentance. God is still saving people. He's still bringing people to repentance. God is not slow. He is still bringing people to repentance. Because we see, not to turn this into, into like a turn or burn type of, type of sermon, but there, there is a time coming when it is too late. There, there is a time coming. When Jesus returns, at that point, it's too late. The saved... And the un- you're saved, you're unsaved. There is that time. But the very fact that Jesus has not returned is because God is still saving people. He is still bringing people to repentance. But this is going to scratch the surface of this. But who is Peter writing to? When Peter says, he, said, he, were, he used the word you. He said, the Lord is not slow, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There it goes, there it goes, every week. Who is you? Look back to, it's going to be on the screen, flip back to the very first verse of 2 Peter 1. Very first verse. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. It's of it's huge importance if we're going to truly get this. Because Peter is writing to the church. He's writing to believers. He's writing to people who have the same faith. He's writing to believers. Remember back to Romans 8, 29-30. We were there probably about two months ago. It was the last sermon prior to Song of Solomon. I, I put, it's going to be a little bit, it's a lot on one screen, but I wanted, it all on, on, I wanted it all on one slide. So there's a lot of words up there. But we said that those that God foreknew, those he, he chose to know, not, not that he was aware of, but those that God chose to intimately know, know beforehand. Those he, choose to, he, he chose to know are the same people that he justifies and glorifies at the, the very last couple words in that, in that section. Those same people, same group, none are lost in that progression. 
We said salvation belongs to God. God does not leave it up to us to complete salvation, that salvation belongs to God. It's his. These people that God has chosen to pour out grace upon to bring them to salvation, God is patient with. God is not going to send Jesus to return before he's brought everyone to repentance that he desires to save. That is not going to happen. Jesus is not returned because he's still saving people. God has not sent Jesus to return because he's still saving people. Peter's writing to the church. He's saying, I desire... I'm just going to read the verse again. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is not going to allow anybody to perish that he is seeking to save. You see Jesus in John 17 talking about his flock. He said, none have been lost. There's none have been lost. None of those you gave me have been lost. None are lost. Because God is patient. He is saving those that he's saving. Bringing them to repentance. You see, here's the thing though. The fact that Jesus did not return before you've been saved is pure grace. Pure grace. Pure mercy. In God's patience, he saved you before Jesus returned. If you're not saved here, if you're not saved, it's pure grace, pure mercy that Jesus has not returned yet. Again, not trying to turn it into a turn to burn type of sermon. Not trying to scare anybody into following Jesus. But it's pure grace because God could have brought this to completion a long time ago. Wow, I just said that like our four-year-olds. A long time ago. He could have brought it to completion a long time ago. But he didn't. He's patient, bringing others to repentance. His patience, his grace is meant to bring people to repentance. Romans 2.4 says that his kindness is meant to bring people to repentance. I didn't remember I put that one up there. So, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Like the Christmas, what we're celebrating in Christmas, Jesus coming as a baby to go on to die for the sins of man, to redeem God's people. All of that, the gospel, is meant to lead us to repentance. You see, it's like all of God's patience, all of God's grace, all of God's mercy is to bring salvation to a bunch of sinners for the sake of his glory. It's meant to lead us to repentance. But again, like I said earlier, there's a time when, when Jesus returns when it is too late. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 7 and then follow that up with verse 10. Verse 7, he says, But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Talking about this same, the same moment, verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, 
and the heavens will pass away with the roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. He, in the same, in talking about the day of the Lord, he talks about destruction. He talks about judgment. A day that when everything that we know will, will, will be different, will no longer be. But he says the day of a thief, like no one knows. If anybody says they know when Jesus is coming back, they're wrong. But again, in these verses, there's a ton of theology, there's a ton of debate, there's a ton of, wait, what is this actually referring to? But once again, I'm not digging in super deep there. I'm not trying to, to solve a lot of stuff within that. I'm not trying to downplay anything or say it's not important, but I don't want to miss the big picture here. Here is what I've said it a couple times already, but this is where I want us to be on the same page. That Jesus is going to return, and then at, the time, at that time, the saved and the unsaved are separated. The saved being uni- united with Jesus. The unsaved being cast away. Like, it's not some debated thing. It's not some, is this really going to happen thing. The Old Testament prophets talk about it. The New Testament writers talk about it. Jesus himself talks about it. I'm sure you remember that from Matthew. Every word in, I think it's 24 and 25, in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus talks about it. It's not some unknown thing. It's a promise that Jesus will return. The wheat and the tares. In that time, Jesus is going to separate the wheat and the tares. The saved from the unsaved. There is that time coming. What type of what type of thoughts, what type of feelings, what type of emotions does that elicit within you? Saved or unsaved? What ty- you don't have to answer. But what type of feelings does that elicit from you? That Jesus is going to return. Does it bring fear? Does it bring anxiety? Worry? Hope? Longing? Like, what type of feeling does that bring about in you? Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 1. It should be just two page, probably two or three pages back. One of those that probably easier for you, those of you that are actually using your Bibles, not your smartphones, as you just turn back two pages. I was there first, sorry. 1 Peter. So Peter's, in this first chapter, he's talking about the hope that we have in Jesus. Verse 13, when talking about this, Peter says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Setting your, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't do this often, but it's going to be awkward. Seriously, look at me right now. Okay, yep, it's awkward. Um, <laughs> seriously, but, but seriously, 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 seriously. Christian, if you profess faith in Jesus, 
in this moment when Jesus returns, there is nothing but hope. Like at that moment that you see Jesus, you are staring in the face of the only one who has given you hope, the only one that could, the only one that has. Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's no room for fear there. There's no room for anxiety. There's no room for worry. There's no room for anything else than pure hope. Pure hope. Looking at Jesus who has saved you. If that makes you feel inadequate, if that makes you feel unworthy, you're probably in a pretty good place because you are. Like, let me remind you of grace. Grace says that you are unworthy, you are inadequate, that there is nothing that you could have done to earn any sort of favor or salvation from God. Nothing. Looking at, thinking of Romans, it's not up there, but thinking of Romans 8 again, solely because God chose to know you, chose to give you grace, chose to save you, chose to justify you, chose to glorify, only because he saved you through Jesus, do you have hope? You are unworthy. You are inadequate. There is pure hope because of Jesus. Set your hope fully on the grace. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But do you really long for this day? Do you really long for this day? Think, think of those Old Testament people we were talking about. The way they would have longed for a Savior. The, the way they would have been seemingly stuck in this sacrificial system if they were, if they were after that. Longing for a Savior. Longing for someone to come and save them. Do we as the church, do we right here, long for Jesus to return in that same way? To fix all of this that we see around us. To fix, ultimately come and fix the sin problem once and for all. Because we celebrate Christmas in that same spirit of longing for Jesus to return. It's not just celebrating the past, but it's longing for what Jesus is going to do when he comes back. So I was going to try to step out into an example um, with this. Like, because you, you can hope and, and celebrate the past but also be in a place of longing for the future, longing for more, longing for future fulfillment. So Tanner's always been better at giving movie examples, movie references, specifically Disney ones. And I get it now. Little girl, having a daughter, having two four-year-old girls that like Disney princess stuff. Think of the movie Tangled for a second. This is, a, this is super romantic for me because this is the first movie that Brenda and I ever watched together. At our wedding, our first dance was to a song from Tangled. But think, think, of, think of Tangled. Think of the story of Rapunzel. A, a baby, this, the little princess, the little daughter being kidnapped from her home as a baby. Being raised by this evil lady in a tower where she had this magical hair. 
And every year on her birthday, the king and the king, the king and the king, the king and the queen. I'm just going to ignore I said that. Oh, so the king and the queen light these lanterns to both celebrate her birth, but it's also longing for her return one day. Is each year they, they do that celebration. Each year they're looking back, but they're also longing for her return. It's the same, like, we can both celebrate the past, celebrate Jesus coming as a baby, coming as the promised Messiah in a manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, but also be celebrating that he's going to return, longing for that. Do you long for that? Or are you just content with here? Are you content with now? Are you content with this? Not the building. This. That's a whole different conversation. Are you content with this world? There's so much pain in this world. There's so much difficulty. There's so much suffering. There's so much injustice. There's so much sin. The world is seemingly getting visibly worse on a daily basis. But do you know that like, when Jesus returns, all of that ends? I'm going to read this for Nick. It's in Revelation 21. But Revelation 21, 4 says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. When we see the sin in the world, when we see our own selves still controlled by our sin, free from it, free from it. But when we're there, when we see the world hurting, are we longing for Jesus to return? Longing for Jesus to return and wipe away every tear. Death shall be no more, no mourning, no crying, no pain. Should this not drive us to a place where we're saying, just like the last, second to last verse in the entire Bible, that says, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. From Adam and Eve to the last word of the Old Testament, all the way through, we see people longing for a Savior, longing for the Messiah, longing for salvation. He came. He was born. He lived. He died for the sins of God's people. He rose from the dead and now is waiting to return as, not a baby, as conquering king. Are we hoping and longing for that? Do you pray for that? Do we pray for that? confidence that we have because Jesus is going to return should be huge. Confident in our own salvation. We'll talk about this more next week, but there should be so much confidence in the hope that we have as we share the gospel. So much hope there. Because Jesus has not returned and God is still saving people. 
As we share the gospel, God is still saving people. He is still bringing people to repentance. In His patience, in His grace, God is still saving people. Listen, I don't have any like huge applications. I don't have any, okay, so based on all this, this you do go do this, this, and this. I don't have that. But as we move into a time of response, if you guys want to start moving around, feel free. But as we move into a time of response, I really just want to ask you, same thing I did last week, to really spend just a couple minutes Reflecting on all of this, all that we talked about last week, all that we saw this week. Worshiping, thanking God for his faithfulness, for his continued faithfulness all through his word and to us in our lives. Continually praising him for this. Thank God, praise God that he sent Jesus at the perfect time. He was not slow. He was not fast. He sent Jesus at the perfect time. Praise him because of that. Thank God, if you are saved, thank God that he saved you before Jesus came back. That is grace. That is mercy. Praise him for that. And I encourage you to pray for Jesus to return. Pray for Jesus to come quickly because we are so desperate. This world is so desperate. Pray that God would grow that desire in you to to see that, to, to desire to see him return and then to live in eternal worship. But also, pray that God would continue to save people. He's going to. Pray that God will continue to save people, the people in your lives, the people in, our ch- the people in our church that are not saved, the people all around us. Pray that God would continue to save people. And if you're sitting here thinking this is a foreign idea, I don't know where we all are all the way across this room. I don't know every single story. But if this all seems weird, if this all seems foreign to you, I just want to remind you, God has been so faithful all through his scripture. All through his word, he's been so faithful to continue to fulfill his promises. I urge you to think about this. I urge you to pray about this because the Messiah did come providing salvation. And God has been patient and leading you to repentance. Know that I'm going to pray. If you're in here and not saved, I'm going to pray that God would save you. And I just encourage the rest of the people to be pray that God would continue to save people. And God has shown even so recently, He is so faithful to continue to save people. Let's pray.